good to be back. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. While you're turning there, um, I just want you to know uh, I've, I'm looking forward to be, I've been looking forward to being here, and uh, I want to pray for uh, Brother Danny before uh, we get started in the message. Uh, he's a little out of the weather, but um, I want you to lift him up with me if you, if you would, please. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for Pastor Danny. We thank you for his vision that you've given him for this church for his gifts, abilities, and talents. And God, I just pray you touch him right now. And uh, God, just uh, heal his body, give him strength, um, refresh him, Lord, and refresh, refresh his family, and pour out your spirit on him. Use him for this year in this church greater than you have ever used him before in his ministry. Anoint him, bless him, provide for him, and um, God, we just ask you right now that you would uh, speak to our hearts through your word, that you would encourage us, you would challenge us. And for those that are here that do not know you, do not have a relationship with you, I pray, God, you take the blinders off and you set the captives free this morning. We give you honor and praise and glory for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, do we have any Duck Dynasty fans in the house today? We do. Have a few? you. I, I'm a Duck Dynasty fan, and I think the reason why is because I, I like to hunt. I like to fish. I like to do all kinds of hunting, all kinds of fishing. I mean, you name it, I have done it. And um, I mean, any, any kind from bow, rifle, hunting with a knife, you name it, I've done it. And I think it resonates with me, and I think that's why Duck Dynasty is so popular is because a lot of people like to hunt and fish. And I'll tell you, there's three reasons why I like to hunt and fish. Um, number one, because no matter what kind of hunting or fishing that you're doing, you're hanging out with family or friends. I mean, you're going to be doing that, and so it's a camaraderie, it, it's uh, stories, it's experiences, it's an adventure, and so you get to experience that with your family and friends, no matter what kind of hunting or fishing that you do. The second thing, the reason why I like to hunt and fish, it, is because it's fun. I mean, it's just fun. I remember when I was in uh, high school, freshman in high school, and my ag teacher got me coon hunting, and the very first coon hunting trip, he had me climbing up a tree in the middle of the night in a swamp and climbing up, kicking a coon out of the tree, and, and the coon was coming back at me, and it was a full-blown knock em out John story from Jerry Clower. I was living it. For those of you that are older, you know what I'm talking about. And so uh, it, it's fun. It's, you got all kinds of crazy stories no matter what happens. But the third reason I like to hunt and fish is for the food. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. You can take some backstrap off a deer, and let me just tell y'all how to— some, some of y'all think, oh, no, it's gamey and all. No, it's not. It's just you just hadn't prepared it right. And so let me just tell you, let me give you a little tip on how to do this, okay? You take those backstraps, when you cut them off, you put them in an ice chest, and you throw ice on it and salt. And you do that for about three days. You just keep icing it, salting it, drain the water out. It soaks all that blood out. Then you take that backstrap and you cut up in little medallions, about that big around, about that thick. You throw a little into some flour with some salt and pepper, throw it in some milk and eggs, back in that flour, throw it on that grease, real slow cooking. And I'm going to tell you something, I can eat backstrap for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, whether it's cold or hot, does not matter. 
I can eat them all day long. That's why I like to hunt and fish. Now, Jesus gave us three reasons, just like I, I gave you three reasons why I, I like to hunt and fish. Jesus gave us three reasons why we should fish for men in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. Matter of fact, he told us that we are to be fishers of men. So in Matthew 28, he says this. He says in Matthew 28, verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, you got to understand the backdrop of what's going on here in Matthew 28 when Jesus said this. When Jesus said this, he had already he'd been crucified on the cross, he had been buried in the grave, he rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples and a bunch of other people for 40 days to prove who he said who he was. And he said he was God. Now after all of this, he's about to ascend back to his Father. And before he ascends back to his Father in heaven, he has his disciples around. He says, hey boys, y'all come here. Y'all gather around. He said, you want to know what this ministry's been about for three years? I've been pouring my life into you. You want to know what it's all about? Here's what it's about right here in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, he says, this is what it's about right here. We are to fish for men, for people. Now, Jesus gave us three reasons why we're to fish. I want you to look at the very first one. Look in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Jesus said this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. The very first reason you and I are to chunk our line in the water and fish for people is because God desires for people to be saved. That's His heart. Did you see what He said? He said, hey, I want you to go and make disciples. If God didn't care about anybody being saved, He wouldn't have told us to go to, in the first place. God desires for people to be saved. Think about this. Ever since Adam and Eve has sinned in the garden, our relationship with God has been broken. So they were kicked out of the garden. And so God's whole plan ever since that happened was to bring us back to a right relationship with Him. So He sent prophet after prophet saying the Messiah was coming, the Savior of the world. And finally in John chapter 1, Jesus said this, in in John Jesus said, He said, I am, John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the entire world. Jesus is that final lamb sacrifice that takes away the sin of the entire world to bring us back to a right relationship with Him, because God desires for people to be saved. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, 4, God desires for all men to be saved. Have you ever had anybody tell you, Ronnie, I've had people say, Ronnie, if God's so loving, I'm sure you had them tell you this, if God is so loving, why would a loving God send somebody to hell? Y'all ever had people say that to you? If God is so loving, why does He send people to hell? You know what? In reality, God doesn't send anybody to hell. In reality, you send yourself. See, because God has provided a way, you don't have to go to hell. That is not God's heartbeat. God's heartbeat is for us to have a relationship with Him. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you, so you don't have to go to hell. That's His heartbeat. God desires for people to be saved. There was a 17-year-old girl that was uh, raped by an 18-year-old guy. As a result of the rape, she became pregnant. 
Now, according to a lot of people in Washington, uh, this girl should have an abortion. Matter of fact, a lady tried to take her to an abortion clinic to get her to have an abortion. The 17-year-old girl said, no, I'm having the baby. Nine months later, she had a six and a half pound baby boy. And that baby boy is me. And I want you to know, I'm not here today by accident. Just like you're not here by accident. You're not here by some fluke. And, and, and I'm not talking about in this church building, or those of you that are watching by, uh, online, I'm talking about you're not here on this planet by accident. You are here for a reason. And the very reason that you were created is so that God can have a relationship with you. That's why you were created. And so he sent his son Jesus down the cross for you so you could have that relationship. But what's happened was, ever since the garden, we've been separated from God. So God sent his son Jesus to down the cross so we could have that right relationship with him. You are not here by accident. My life verse now is Genesis 50, verse 20, which says, What you intend to harm for me, God intended for the good, for the saving of many souls. Jeremiah 1, 5 says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you, and I set you apart. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. That's what God has for you. That's what He desires for you. That's what He desires for your family and friends that don't know Jesus. He desires a relationship with them. Well, I always get asked after I tell my story, well, what happened? What's, does your... Does your mom know? Do you know your biological father? I get asked that all the time. So here we go. As the great famous radio host used to say, Paul Harvey, now for the rest of the story. My mom was 17, and she was dating a guy she'd been dating for two years. And it was during the Vietnam War, and so uh, she was, we're from uh, 50 miles south of Houston in, in Brazoria. So we were down there, and well, my mom was down there, and um, she's 17. She was dating a guy she'd been dating for two years. He was stationed down in Louisiana during the war. And so um, while they were down there, uh, my mom and her family, parents, went to see some friends in Central Texas. While they were there in Central Texas, uh, their friend's son raped my mom while they were there. They didn't talk about that kind of stuff. My mom thought it was her fault. She blamed herself for years. So a month later, or when they came back, a month later, uh, the guy she'd been dating for two years came back from the Army, and they got married. So everybody just assumed I was his son. So we get transferred uh, to the Big Red One up in Kansas. So we're up in, at the Big Red One in Kansas. My mom and uh, her husband have uh, the next son, my brother, my half-brother, Alan. So when I was three and Alan was one, my mom, when she married Alan's biological father, he ran around on my mom. He was an alcoholic. He beat my mom. There would be times where he would take his paycheck on Friday, go out, blow all the money, drinking, partying, and we would have to just scrape by. My mom would fix us like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for the rest of the week and just barely get by. That's what was going on. After several years, two years of this, my mom finally couldn't take it anymore. And so she ended up deciding to leave him. We moved back down to South Texas, where I'm from, and uh, moved in with my grandparents. And my mom divorced him. Finally, after months go along, my mom finally gets the courage to start dating again. So my mom started going out, and, and uh, we went to this, uh, uh, or she went to this uh, place uh, 
uh, parents. It's a, a country and western two-stepping bar. And um, she, <clears throat> she ended up meeting this guy while she was there at this uh, place named Jamie. And Jamie and my mom, they started dating. And uh, they, you know, Jamie come over the house and he'd, you know, play with me and Big Al and he'd play sports and stuff like that or take us fishing and stuff. And so Jamie one day ended up asking my mom, Sandra, to marry him. She said yes. So when they got married, Jamie put into legal procedures to adopt me and adopt my brother Alan as his own sons. So my name changed from Ronnie McGahey, <laughs> thank you, Jesus, to... Uh, if your name's McGahey, not slamming on your name, it's just easier for a three-year-old to spell Hill, because Jamie's last name was Hill. So my name changed from Ronnie McGahey to Ronnie Hill, and Jamie became my dad, and he was a good old boy. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, hard working, put food on the table. We didn't have to worry about that anymore. But he'd still come home on the weekend, pop a couple of six-pack of Lone Stars and stuff like that, watch football games. It, it was that kind of deal. So I'll never forget my mom one day when I was uh, eight years old, she, uh, she'd take us to church like once or twice a year. And so uh, that's, that's kind of how we rolled. And, and so I didn't know a lot about the church stuff. And so she took me to church and, and my dad, I mean, uh, not my dad would never go to church with us. And uh, me and my brother, and uh, my youngest brother, Peyton now, they had Peyton. And so I, I was always sitting in the back, second row from the back, and it was one of them rectangular churches, real deep, long. And I'd be sitting back there, and I'd be playing tic-tac-toe or shooting spitwads and stuff. And I don't know why. I don't, I don't know why. It, all I can say is just God did it. I was sitting back there one day when I was eight years old, and I heard for the first time in my life that God loved me and cared about me. All of a sudden... God had my attention. And I realized for the first time that I was a sinner, and I had sinned against God. And because I would sinned against God, I deserved to die and go to hell. But God loved me so much, He sent Jesus out of heaven, down this earth, to die on a cross to pay for my sins. And if I was willing to repent of my sins, commit my life to Him, surrender to Him, He had saved me and changed my life. I didn't understand all of it. I didn't have a theological degree at that time. I just felt this tug on my heart. And I knew that it was right. And so the pastor said, if you would like to have a relationship with Christ, I'll be right down here. We stood up and started singing this song called Just As I Am. I looked at my mom. I said, Mom. And now my mom was not very active in church and stuff. You get, you get this? And so my mom, I looked at my mom. I said, Mom, I said, I want to be saved. Would you go with me? She said, yes. I walked down that aisle that day. I gave my heart to Christ, and I was saved. Changed. Now, my mom got saved about the same time I did, either a month before me or a month after me. I can't remember uh, reading a Dale Evans book. And, um, but I'll never forget that day. That's when everybody come by and shook your hand, say, hey, proud of you, all that kind of stuff. I didn't care about what they were saying. Because I'm going to tell you, the only thing I could think about was my dad. I did not want my dad to go to hell. You know why I didn't want my dad to go to hell? Because I loved him. He was somebody who took care of me. He, he gave me his name. He put food in my stomach. He put clothes on my back. He didn't beat my mom. He didn't run around on my mom. I loved my dad, and I wanted my dad to be saved. But he would never go to church with us. This particular Sunday, the reason we, he wouldn't go was because he was building shells in the garage. I'll never forget. People come by shaking my hands. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. They finally get, we get in the car. And I'm riding shotgun, because I called it. 
So I'm in the front seat, my two brothers in the back seat. We pull up in the driveway. I'll never forget this. We pull up in the driveway, the garage door's open, my dad's in the garage, he's hammering shelves, building shelves, and I, I pulled up, uh, my mom pulled up, I, I'll never forget it. I opened the door and jumped out of the car before my mom even got the car stopped. I ran to my dad, I said, Dad, Dad, guess what hit me day, Dad? Dad, guess what hit me day, Dad? Dad, guess what hit me day, Dad? My dad stopped hammering and said, what, son? I said, Dad, I got saved today. He said, well, that's good, son. Turned around, went back to hammer because my dad didn't have a clue what being saved meant. I started crying. I ran down in the house. I knelt down by the couch. My mom came in there, my two brothers. I started praying as an eight-year-old boy that God would save my dad. You know why I started doing that? Because I just, our pastor said that God hears our prayers. I just believed him. And so, you know what? I was like, God, would you please save my dad? And I prayed every single day for two years that God would save my dad. I'm talking about smoking, partying, that kind of dad. That, that my mom would send the, the deacons over to our house on Monday night during Monday night football because they knew he would be home at that time to witness to I, I would, He would be hiding beer behind the chair. And Ronnie, go put this up. I'll never forget that stuff. Yes, I prayed that God would save that dad, my dad. Two years later, God orchestrated some events that brought my dad to church with us. Not one Sunday, which was a huge miracle. Not two, not three, but four Sundays in a row. My dad on the fourth Sunday, I'll never forget this. He, during the invitation, my, bro, my dad took my youngest brother Peyton. He said, Ronnie, hold Peyton. My dad walked down the aisle as a grown man, gave his life to Christ, and was saved. The drinking, the smoking, the cussing stopped. Never saw it in our house again. My dad got in the Word, started reading the Word, started doing what it says. Guess what happened? Two years later, God called my dad to preach. My dad's a cowboy pastor now down in Brazoria, Texas, where hundreds and hundreds of people have been saved underneath my dad's ministry. Not to mention the fact that me, his oldest son, at the age of 14, I started to preach the gospel underneath my dad's ministry. You think I wanted my dad saved? God wanted my dad saved more than I did because God had bigger plans I did not have a clue about. God desires for people to be saved. That's His heart. That's the first reason we need to chunk our line in the water and fish for men. Now let's look at the second reason. Matthew 28, verse 19, the Bible says this, Therefore go and make disciples of some nations. Is that, is that what your Bible says? Do, do what? All? Well, wait. You know, we got a lot of different translations now, you know. So let's do this. Let's go. Who has the King James Version? Anybody have a King James Version? King James. Does it say all in the King James Version? It does. What about New American Standard Version? Anybody have a New American Standard? Does it say all in New American Standard? What about NIV? Anybody have NIV? Say all in NIV? Let, let me ask you a question. If it says all in all these different translations, why do we treat it like it's some? Oh, we say, oh no, it's all. But let's just get down to brass tacks. We don't act like it's all. No, the only people we want in here are people that look like us, act like us, dress like us. No, that's the only people we're going after. No, Jesus said all nations. 
all. And let me tell you something, students. All of you that are high school and junior high students, I do about 200 school assemblies a year. So I'm in schools every single week. And I'll do sometimes four, five, six school assemblies. I'll go in the lunchrooms. It never, I mean, it never fails. I'll go into a lunchroom and see all the little Christian kids sitting over at their little tables. And, and, and you act like you got assigned seats or something. I said that one time, a little junior high dude goes, Brother Ronnie, we, we, we do. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, I'm sorry, little man. Everybody else. <laughs> but, but it's like all, little, all, all the Christian students are sitting at their little table right here. It never fails. There'll be somebody sitting at a table over by themselves. Nobody else around them. Why? Oh, because they're overweight or because they don't have the right clothes to wear or, or because they're not popular, they're not funny, they're not on a sports team or something like that. And they're sitting by themselves. And all the little Christian FCAers, FCS people, students, oh, all the people love Jesus, they're over here doing a little fellowship stuff. And that dude is over here by himself going to hell. And you say you love Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. All these shootings in the schools, they'd stop if some Christians started loving Jesus. Started loving Jesus and loving students. Say, so, yeah, we love Jesus, and because of that, we love you too. We don't care if it affects our reputation. We don't care what other people think. No, we love you. And adults, y'all are just as bad. Don't act like, oh, yeah, I preach to those students. That's right. Yeah, preach to them. No, you do the same thing. I, I'm going to tell you, before I started preaching full-time on the road, I've done just about every major job, or major, not major, uh, every kind of job you can possibly think of. I'm talking about from working on bull ranches, uh, working at Pizza Hut, uh, Win dixie as a sacker, stalker, uh, working at a funeral home, uh, soil and water engineering, conservation age, hoeing peanuts, uh, you name it, I've done it. And in all those different jobs, Guess what happens at every single job, from road construction, I don't care what I did, all these jobs, there's always a pecking order. And there's always somebody at the bottom of the totem pole, everybody else on a job site or in an office makes fun of. Or that secretary that everybody else puts down, all the other ladies or the queen bees, and then they put this other girl down. No, um, let me tell you something, that person needs Jesus. They need Jesus. They don't need you teaming up on them, making fun of them, putting them down to try to look, make yourself look better. No, they need Jesus. I was, uh, I, I try to run this stuff. You can't tell it right now because uh, it's, uh, it was a good vacation, Thanksgiving, Christmas. One of my downfalls is cake balls. My wife can make them red velvet cake balls with that white almond, whole oh, chocolate on it. I can, I, I can just throw them things down. I mean, like it's nothing. Well, I ran a marathon uh, Thanksgiving week. And so afterwards, it was all downhill from there. So, uh, so I, I, I got to start back tomorrow, back into it. But so, so I, when I'm on the road preaching and stuff, I, I'm, I'm working out. Usually I'll go do school assemblies on Monday and Tuesday and when I'm doing a revival. And so uh, I'll do like three or four school assemblies on Monday, three or four on Tuesday, or sometimes five. 
And, and then after I do the school assembly, school gets out about three o'clock for, for the high schools and middle schools. So then I go and I go work out and before I have to be back up at church again on Monday night preaching, Tuesday night, stuff like that. So I was in Bonham, Texas this past year. And I'd gone on Tuesday after school assemblies and worked out and stuff. And I got through and man, I was starving. So I, I go to, uh, there was a, um, I can't, it was a grocery store, and I can't remember the uh, chain, but anyway, it's one of the grocery stores there. And uh, man, I'm sweating, you know, I, I, I'm stinking. I, I just got shorts on and a t-shirt, it's soaking wet. I go in there because I'm craving some peanut butter. I, and I, I know not to eat that now, but I, I, I was. And so I go down the peanut butter aisle. As I'm going down the peanut butter aisle, all I had was just my keys in my hands and, and some money to buy some peanut butter and some water. I go down that peanut butter aisle, there is a, a guy there, probably, he's probably 20 years old, tops. And uh, he's holding his little boy, who's about a year and a half old. And his wife beside him, who's probably, she's 18 or 19, tops. And, uh, and then the grandmother, her, her grandmother. So they're right there and they're looking at the peanut butter stuff. As I walk by, that little boy he's holding, turns around, he's, he's waving at me and stuff. I notice that his left hand and his left foot, he doesn't have a left hand or left foot. And I didn't know, I didn't want to stare anything. I didn't know if it was, you know, because he was born that way or something happened or whatever. As I walked by him, Lord said, invite him. So when, we, when I do a revival, we, we usually have a um, Monday night, we have a, a children's emphasis night, Tuesday night's a youth emphasis night, Wednesday night we have a steak night for all the families. And, and so, so I stopped, I said, hey, I said, uh, I know y'all don't know me or anything, and I'm sorry, I'm stinking and all that kind of stuff. I said, but uh, we're having steak night at the church right down the road here. And I said, uh, I I'll buy your steak tickets. It, I mean, it's a steak, ribeye, baked potato salad, a whole nine yards. I'll buy your steak tickets if y'all come. Would y'all like to come? The guy, without hesitation, said, yeah. Yeah, we'll come. <laughs> the, the, the wife says, yes. And the grandmother's like, mm -mm. So I said, hey, I just got through working out. I don't, I don't have any tickets on me for the steak ticket uh, thing. But I said, I tell you what, do you know where the church is right up here? And, and they said, yeah, we drive by it on our way home. I said, okay, listen, just meet me out there tomorrow night at 6 o'clock before church, and, and I will have your steak tickets for you. And I said, just trust me, I'll, I'll have your steak tickets. Just meet me out front. They said, okay. I leave, I'm thinking, they don't know me. They're, you know, we're not friends or whatever. They're not going to come. And so Wednesday night, 5 till 6, guess who's out front? Daddy, Mama, little boy, and Grandma. I said, hey, good to see y'all. I said, here's your steak tickets. Y'all come on in. So they came in. I started trying to introduce them to people. I didn't know everybody in church. I, I'm a visitor there. I'm a guest too, you know. So I'm trying to introduce them to people. We start eating steak. I sit down at their table. I'm eating steak with them and stuff. The little boy, he's so cute. He's all over the place and stuff. We get into the service. They're sitting in the back. The little boy is crawling all over the place. I'm thinking, man, they're going to leave because they're thinking it's bothering me or something, you know, which it's not. But they're going to think that and they're going to get up and leave. Please stay, you know. We get to the end. And I said, if you'd like to have a relationship with Christ, you can pray with me right now, and I guarantee you he'll save you, he'll change your life, he'll forgive you of everything you've ever done because of what Jesus did for you. And if you're willing to repent of your sins and commit your life, he'll change you. If you want to pray this prayer with me, pray it right now. Both mama and daddy prayed to receive Christ. We stood up, gave invitation. Mama is just bawling. They both come down the aisle together, hand in hand, give their life to Christ. They're baptized that night. 
after the service is over with, I'm trying to introduce them to other young couples their age, try to get them plugged in the church. A lady comes up to me. She says, hey, Ronnie, come here. I said, yeah. She said, do you know who that lady is? I said, I, I just met him at the grocery store. I said, um, you know, the other day. I said, so I, I no, I, I mean, I just know their names and stuff. She said, let me tell you a story. She said, that little girl, that young girl, um, four months ago, she was outside. She was uh, mowing her yard on a riding lawnmower. Her little boy ran out in front of her. She didn't see him. She ran over him. She cut his left hand, left foot off. And she's been dealing with all that grief, all that guilt, all that weight. And tonight, she was set free. Folks, do you understand? You don't know what people are going through. Whether it's at work, at your job, they might be going through a, a divorce. They might just found out they got cancer. You, you don't know students at school, their parents might be, that you might go, why are they acting this way? Maybe their parents abandoned them. They might have a parent in jail. And we don't know what they're going through. But they need Jesus. And it just didn't say just some people that just fit our criteria. It said all people, all nations, all nations, all people groups, they need Jesus. And we've got to tell them. That's our second reason we need to throw our line in the water. Now the third and final reason. Look with me. Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus said this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Now, in verse 18, 19, and 20, there are four verbs in the Greek. Go, teach, baptize, and make disciples. Now, those four verbs in the Greek, there's only one that is in the imperative usage, and that is make disciples. Folks, do you know what it means when it's in the imperative usage? It means it's a command. It's not an option. In other words, our Lord and Savior Jesus, who died on the cross for us, gave His life, His blood for us, so we could be forgiven, so we could have eternal life, so we could have peace. He didn't say, hey, would y'all please, pretty please, would you, would you just, if you get this goosebump feeling, would you, would you please go tell somebody? Would you just, just kind of let somebody know about me? He didn't say that. No, He gave us marching orders. He said, make disciples. It's not an option. It is a command. And can I just get something off my chest here, okay? I, I travel from church to church to church, all states, all over the country, even go outside the country and other parts of the world. And I'm going to tell you something. It is very frustrating for me as an evangelist. My gift is to draw the net to see people saved. That's what my gift is. That's what my job is. And, and here it gets very frustrating when I go to churches and I have Christians who don't care a flying rip about their friends or family and they don't bring any lost people to the building to hear about Jesus. So you know what we do? So we do some stuff like that gets lost people in the building. The pizza for youth, give, give away a car, do something, give away some iPads, something, I don't care. Steak night for adults, get steaks, get people in here. I get all kinds of flack for that. Hey, I wish we didn't have to give away one slice of pizza. I, don't, I wish I didn't have to do anything. But we don't have Christians who love Jesus enough and have a passion to see their family and friends saved, so we have to do something to get lost people in the building.
people need Jesus. It's a command that we are to go tell them. It's not an option. So it's time that you quit saying, well, God, I just wish you'd show me a sign. There's a little lightning bolt come out of heaven. Let me know if I need to witness this person or not. No, you want a sign? Here's your sign right here. Make disciples. It's already been printed. It's done. He said it. It's time for us to do it. And some of you are going to say, but Ronnie, you don't understand. I'm not an evangelist, so it's not, that's not my job. No, it is your job. It is your job. It's everybody's job. See, my job is just to equip the church and help the church to do it and to draw the net. It's everybody's job. I'm not your hired gun. See, it's everybody's job to tell people about Jesus. And so you say, but Ryan, I, I don't have the ability to do it. Listen, hey, let me, let me tell you two things that's going to free you up. Ready? Look right here. Two things. Number one, it's not about your ability. Do you understand? It's not about your ability. It's about your availability. That's all God wants. For you just to say, yes, Lord, anywhere, anytime, any place. Terry, where's Terry? Where, where'd you go, Terry? You up in the, where are you? Terry, do y'all sing that song, yes, Lord, yes, Lord? Have in the past. Y'all, y'all know that song? That, it's, I know it's an old song, but y'all know that old song? Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Do you know if you really want to get down to it, you know what y'all are really saying? No, Lord, no, Lord, no, no, Lord. That's what you're doing when, you, when you're not available to be used by God. Anywhere, anytime, any place. How about, there's tons of y'all going out to eat after church. How about that waiter? How about that waitress? They're hurting. I can't tell you how many times I've asked a waiter or waitress, hey man, can I, we're about to eat. Can, can I pray for you about something? I can't tell you how many times a waiter or waitress has just started crying right there on the spot because of something that they're going through. Maybe they're about to lose their kids. Maybe they're about to lose their job. Maybe there's somebody's about to have surgery that they love and they care about. I can't tell you how many times that's happened. And as a result of that, been able to present the gospel and they give their life to Christ. It's not about your ability. It's about your availability. Number two, y'all ready for this? This is going to free a bunch of you up. You ready for this? It's not your responsibility to save anybody. Did you hear that? I'm going to say it again. It is not your responsibility or my responsibility to save anybody. I can't save anybody. No, but it is, however, your responsibility to tell everybody. And there's a difference. That's why you're not going to see me anytime, any church, manipulating somebody to come down the aisle. Oh, would you please come down? I'll give you some candy if you come down the aisle. I'll give you life to Jesus. I don't do that. You know why? Because, hey, you want some of this Jesus? Come on. You don't? Fine. Stay in your seats. It's not my job to save you. It's just my job to tell you about Jesus. Because I can't do it. Only He's the one that can do that. He's the only one that can convince you, convince you and draw you to Himself. I can't do that. People always ask me all the time after my story, they say, well, Ronnie, have you ever met your biological father? I get asked that all the time. Well, so here's the final deal and we're done. I was uh, uh, in seminary, and um, I was probably 26, and my mom called me up. She said, Ronnie, can I come up and talk to you? I said, yeah. So she drives five hours up. I'm thinking something's going on, and she ends up telling me my story. I didn't know until then. It's the first time I'd ever known. And um, so I was kind of shocked at the first time, you know, when she told me, but I wasn't surprised either because I, had, I did not look anything like Alan's biological father so whatsoever. 
So a few years later, rock along, and you know, I just asked her a little bit about what's his name, you know, where does he live and stuff. She didn't kind of really know where he's living at the time, but she knew a little bit about him. So I go down to uh, Brazoria County, that's where I'm from. We have big uh, rodeo and barbecue cook-off and all that kind of stuff. So I was down there in October, uh, a few years after my mama told me, and I walk in the county fairgrounds, and my aunt walks up to me, and she says, Ronnie, your biological father's here. I said, what? She said, your biological father's here. I said, where? She said, he's right over there. He had a black felt hat on. He had dark sunglasses. And from a distance, I mean, I looked a lot like him. So I just, I, I, I didn't, I, I'm just going to be honest with y'all. Can, can I just shoot straight? Pastor's not here, so I can go ahead and do this. Um, <laughs> no, he wouldn't mind. Um, part of me, I, I, I'll just be honest. I wanted to kick his tail for what he did to my mom and for getting away with it. Uh, the other part of me, I want to know about any medical stuff. You know, did I inherit something? I know y'all probably think I'm weird for that, but that's just the way I think. And so, so I walk up to him cold turkey, and I said, uh, I stuck my hand, I said, uh, Ray? He said, uh, yeah. I said, my name's uh, Ronnie Hill. He said, well, nice to meet you. I said, my mom's Sandra Hill. He said, I, I don't know her. I said, well, her maiden name is, I told him her maiden name, and all of a sudden, you see the wheels start turning. He started stuttering. He started, uh, no, uh, um, I, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't know her. I said, well, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're my biological father. He said, what? I told him the story. When I got through telling the story, he took his sunglasses off, and it was like I was looking in a mirror. He has blue eyes just like me. Everybody on my whole side of my family, they all have brown eyes. I was the only one with blue eyes. I just thought I was some genetic freak or something I didn't know. And he said, first words out of his mouth, he said, well, you got the blue eyes. Here, give me a hug. He starts to hug me. I'm thinking, right there on the county fairgrounds, I'm thinking, dude, you want to be on Dr. Phil? You, you go ahead. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not into this, you know. And um, so he gets through, hug me, he stands back, and he goes, uh, well, you, you turned out to be a fine looking young man. What do you do? I said, well, I'm a preacher. He said, well, you can see I'm not. He had a can of beer he's, he held up and he's drinking. I said, yes, sir. So he said, well, where do you live? What do you do? And blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And I asked him where he lived and what he did. And then I asked him, you got any medical things I need to know about? And um, <laughs> he said, uh, no, I just got this uh, bum knee from steer wrestling when I was younger. And I said, okay. So about that time, we've only been talking like 15 minutes. His wife at the time started walking over towards us. And he, and he didn't want her to know. So he said, well, hey, you got my phone number. Next time you're down, give me a call. We'll go have a cup of coffee. We'll, we'll see you later. That was it. That was the extent of our conversation. I go home to my dad. I said, Dad, I, I met my biological father today. He said, well, son, how do you feel? I said, well, weird. But I said, I, you know, I, I don't need another dad. I get the best dad in the whole world. I, I could not have picked out another, a better dad. He said, well, son, he said, let, let me pray for you. So he put his hands on me, he prayed for me. And a um, couple years rock along. And um, I thought, I'm going to send him, we used to send out them prayer cards, you know, for our ministry, people know where we're at so they can pray for us. Now we just do everything, Facebook, Twitter. I thought, I'm going to send him a prayer card. So I, I sent him one. It came back a month later, stamped on the front, returned to sender. I thought, rude. So I pick up the phone to call him. Phone was disconnected. I thought, well, that's strange. 
So I see my aunt about a month later. I said, you seen Ray? She said, you hadn't heard? I said, heard what? She said, he's been missing for like two months. I said, what's the deal? She said, well, that lady he was with at the fair? I said, yeah. She said, well, that was his wife. They got divorced and he just, he just disappeared. I said, well, that's strange. I'm back down there a month later. And uh, when I, my mom and dad picked me up from the Houston Hobby Airport. And as soon as they picked me up, I get in the back seat. My mom says, uh, son, we, we, we got some bad news for you. I said, what? She said, they found your biological father. I said, what are you talking about? She gave me the newspaper from that morning. I mean, the morning I flew in. On the front page of the Brazosport Facts, it said in big, bold letters, human bones found. He had run his truck apparently off the road into the woods, like 200 yards in the woods. That's why nobody could see it for several months. Uh, somebody found it when they were hunting, but uh, his truck, he apparently had gotten it stuck, uh, had put logs underneath to try to get some traction, couldn't. They found his body 50 feet from the truck. Animals had eaten it. There had been a flood, so the body was very deteriorated. And um, they had left the case open, unsolved. When I read that, I was just numb. The next morning, I'm preaching at Willow Drive Baptist Church in Lake Jackson. I'm sitting on the front row, a girl's up singing a special before I preach, and, and the song she's singing is, We're Standing on Holy Ground. As she's singing that song, I just break down bawling like a baby on the front row. Can't stop crying. She gets through singing, I'm supposed to preach. I mean, you, you got to understand, I mean, I'm, I can't even talk. And so it takes 15 minutes for me to say this. If you saw the newspaper yesterday morning, front page, that's my biological father. I'm having a hard time dealing with it. And if you want to be saved, here's the pastor. And I went and sat down. You know what hit me? I mean like a ton of bricks. I'm a full-time evangelist. I travel all around the world telling people about Jesus. And I never told him about Jesus. And because of my anger and my bitterness towards him, I'm 99% sure he's in hell. You say, how can you say that? Because when I made that mistake, I vowed then and there I would not let it happen again. So I met my biological grandmother, his mother, after his death, about three or four months after his death. The very first thing I did was I sat down and I told her about Jesus. She taps me on the leg. It's okay, dear. I'm Catholic. I'm good. I'm good. She came to two revivals down while I was preaching in that area, two in a row, second revival on Children's Emphasis Night. She came down the aisle and gave her life to Christ. You know what she told me? She said, I know my son, and unless something happened at that truck before he died, he's in hell. And you know what I thought? The same thing a lot of you are thinking. I thought, you know what? I'll let some water get under the bridge five years down the road, ten years down the road, then I'll tell them about Jesus. I didn't have ten. I didn't have five. I had about two. That's all I had. And we've got family and we've got friends that we say we love them, and, but we have never told them the most important thing we could ever share with anybody. And that is that Jesus loves them, died on a cross for them, gave his life for them so they can have peace, forgiveness, and a right relationship with God. It's time, Christians, we start doing it. 
And there's a lot of you in here today, you, you didn't know that God loved you. You thought God was mad at you. He didn't care about you. No, the very reason that you were created was for a relationship with Him. So well, then how do I do that? If you're here and you're willing today to do what the Bible says, in Acts, Peter said, hey, they said, what are we to do? He said, repent and believe in Jesus. Repent and believe. You say, how do I do that? Here, you know, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. You say, well, how do I do that? It's not a magical thing. It's not some formula. Here it is. You're just willing to say, God, I've messed up. I am a sinner. I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. God, I turn from my sins. I commit my life to you. I, I believe in you. I surrender to you. If you're willing to do that, he will change you right where you're sitting. I want to say, here's what I'm going to do. If you've never done that before, and you want peace, you want purpose, you want meaning, you want, you want to be changed, like my whole family was changed. Listen, I'm living proof. It works. I know it works. I've seen what's happened in my family. If you want that, right where you're seated, I'm going to pray. And right along with me, you can pray with me saying, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. I turn from my sins, and I commit my life to follow you for the rest of my life. If you want to do that, right where you're seated, you can pray with me. And if you're watching online, you can do it with me online too, right there at your computer. Can you do me a favor? Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? Give me two minutes. Nobody get up. Nobody leave. Nobody talk. Just give me two minutes with heads bowed, eyes closed. If you've never invited Christ to come to your life and you want to, then pray this prayer with me right now, right where you're seated. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I know I've messed up. And I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I turn from my sins. And I invite you into my life to be my boss, my Lord, and my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And thank you for saving me, Lord Jesus.